Hello, we're the Neo family. Uh, our scriptures today are 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, 12 through 14, and 20. Brothers and sisters, I want to call your attention to the good news that I have preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. You are being saved through it if you hold on to the message I preached to you, unless somehow you believed it for nothing. I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received. Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day in line with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and on, uh, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at once. Most of them are still alive uh, to this day, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as if I were born at the wrong time. So if the message is that that is preached says that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there is no res resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. If Christ hasn't been raised then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. But in Christ, or but in fact, Christ has raised, has raised from the dead. He is the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. We are, we are thankful, thankful for, for the, the gift, gift of, of scripture. scripture. Amen. Amen. You know, this feature has become one of our favorite things that we decided with COVID it should stay and continue because it uh, gets to see our church family and get to see them in their own homes. It's great. Well, the past few weeks, we have looked at most of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And we've learned from these appearances that Jesus often, the risen Jesus, often wasn't recognized until there was some act of grace from God that made it possible for those that were witnessing it. For Thomas, it was seeing the wounds in Jesus' hands. For Cleopas, on the road to Emmaus, it was hearing Jesus explain the Hebrew scriptures. For Mary Magdalene, it was hearing Jesus say her name. To those disciples who were out fishing and Jesus called from the shore and told them to throw the net on the other side, it was the experience of that abundance that helped them to see Jesus. Last week we talked about how the disciples rendezvoused with Jesus on a mountain in Galilee. And it was, it was there that they experienced while worshiping, still having some doubt. And Paul, on the Damascus Road, discovered that his rigid adherence to the past was blinding him to the new thing that God was doing in Jesus Christ. Today I want to take a look at a reference that comes from Paul in the scripture that was just read that talks about a crowd of 500 that Jesus appeared to all at once. And I think for us to appreciate how this information came to us, I'd like for us to recite a creed that you all know, I'm sure if you've been in church, the Apostles' Creed. So would you join me right now as we recite this historic thing? Why don't we stand as we do that? <clears throat> and you can stand at home if you wish as well. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And just in case if that's... This creed's new to you. When we say Holy Catholic Church, we're talking about the universal church, the whole body of Christ. Well, many of us have recited this creed throughout our lives. It is the oldest statement of faith in the church. Creeds are important. Through the centuries, creeds have helped define what is essential to the faith and Christian living. You'll notice this Apostles' Creed helps define the Trinity But even more, the purpose of this creed was helped to declare the physical nature of Jesus who came down on this earth. It was written to counteract the attempts in that culture in that time to spiritualize Jesus. And if they had succeeded, then Jesus would have become a mythic figure, only a, a legend instead of the historic, real, human incarnation of God who came to transform our world in our lives. Now, as much as we appreciate the Apostles' Creed, it's not likely the earliest creed in the Christian church. Biblical scholars believe a portion of our scripture that was read to us today comes from a creed that was used in the first century church that established the historical veracity of the resurrection of Jesus. It's found in verses 3 through 7. And just notice the cadence that comes through even in the translation to the English. Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures. He was buried. He rose on the third day in line with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at once. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. That was recited in the early churches, and the gatherings they had in homes throughout the Roman Empire. Paul wrote this passage in 51 AD, one of the earliest scriptures we have in our New Testament. And we know from Galatians 1.18 that it suggests that Paul probably learned this creed right after his Damascus Road experience when he went off for a while, and then he came back to Jerusalem some three years later which means that Paul probably received this creed that we just heard in 34 AD. That would be just three to five years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Paul took this creed, added some commentary to emphasize the importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus to our faith. In his opinion, without the reality of Jesus returning from the dead, then our hope and faith are for nothing. So I hope you can just stop and appreciate that. Think about the historicity of this, that this mention of Jesus puts, is put down in writing 51 AD, just a little over a decade after its occurrence. Paul probably received this as early as 34 AD, which establishes how well-founded this historical fact is. And ever since, there's been attempts to try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. We heard last week in our scripture about the attempt to 
to make it look like the body was stolen by the disciples. Even today, people that accept the historical um, truth of this written account will still try to claim that, well, it was the perceived hallucinations of, the, of those disciples who were grief-stricken and wanted to just believe in something. But then you come across this reference of Jesus appearing to 500 all at once. Could 500 people all have hallucinations of the same thing at once? Not likely. And then you add to it the appearance to James, who was not in Jesus' court. You find the Gospel of John that James and Jesus' human brothers were not supportive of him. So they weren't on board, and it took the revelation and appearance of Jesus the risen Christ, to James to transform him, and he would eventually become the leader of the Jerusalem church. And then, of course, we have the dramatic conversion of Paul, who was completely hostile to the early Christian movement. I've always said that for me, the greatest truth of the resurrection is the dramatic transformation of those disciples who were cowardly holed up in the upper room And somehow they were transformed. Something incredible must have happened to cause them to go out boldly and begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Roman Empire. Our tradition suggests that that all of the disciples most likely ended their lives as a martyr in some form or another because of their faith. Something must have happened to have done it. And the evidence suggests that this appearance to the 500 probably helped fuel the spread of the good news throughout Palestine and then to the Roman Empire because they were there to confirm the witness of the disciples, not just a small band, but hundreds were sharing this good news and making it spread. Well, Paul uses this creedal reference to the resurrection appearance of Jesus to establish how well our faith is grounded in history. We have a faith in God who acts in history. We serve a God who is involved in our world and therefore involved in our lives. The Christian faith, it's not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's not a body of moral teaching. We follow a God who broke into our world in the person of Jesus Christ and continues to break into our lives through the witness of the Holy Spirit. So my question for us today is, what difference does it make in our lives? We've been asking that very question these past four weeks, trying to declare that if the resurrection, shouldn't it make a difference in how we see the world and how we see ourselves? I still remember the feeling that I had when I was in high school. And our youth group would gather together, we'd meet in the home of our associate pastor, We'd have our usual lesson, share what's going on, events, what's coming up. And then people would head home, but there would be a group of us that would stay after. And we were the ones that were very serious about our faith. And she'd gather us in a circle and we'd pray the most personal prayers, allowing us to go around the room and share that. And and that experience of God, to begin to feel God and to pray, not just pray to something up there hoping somebody's listening, but to pray and feel God there was so powerful for me. Because at that point in my life, all I can, the best way for me to describe my home life was that it was dismal. My parents were preoccupied with their own problems, and they had nothing left to pour into me. I did have an older brother, five years older, but 
he was too busy to be worrying about somebody like me. And my younger sister was five years younger. And, of course, she was no help to me as a teenager. So to have someone I could count on, to be able in the isolation in my own bedroom even, just to pray and feel like there's somebody there to listen to me, that God was a friend to me, certainly saved me at a critical time of my life. And that relationship with God has been essential to my life ever since. Now, my understanding of God's much deeper. I've got a less narrow view of the world. I understand now how complicated life is and tragedies like happened last night in Hamilton Heights is so very real. And somehow we have to figure out what that means. It shows us that that God respects our human free will, that evil still has its way in the world, and that God chooses to work with that through us, through very slow means. It's probably too slow for a lot of us. But whenever I get discouraged, whenever I feel other people let me down, or I begin to get a little disillusioned with, with my ministry, I turn back to the resurrection. I remind myself of those disciples who entered Jerusalem on that Sunday, Palm Sunday, with excitement, seeing the crowds waving their palm branches, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. And then very quickly, in less than a week, Jesus is arrested, he's betrayed, he's tried, and he's put on a cross. And how downtrodden, how shattered and scattered those disciples were. And then three days later, Jesus appears, and he keeps appearing. And he comes to them as each need to to see him, so that they begin to see that he is real, that Jesus is alive and promised to send his Holy Spirit to guide them forever. And I believe Jesus continues to raise us up from the death we find in this world. The Holy Spirit resides with us every moment of every day as our companion in the midst of our daily challenges. The resurrection should help us see the world with open eyes, aware that the problems that sometimes take us down are never the final story. God will always find a way. Adam Hamilton shares a story that he and his wife experienced traveling to northern Europe. They'd been invited by the bishop of the Scandinavian countries to come and speak to Methodist pastors and leaders. Now, the part of that world is often described as post-Christian. There's churches everywhere. Christianity is still part of the culture, but very few people attend them. And they happen to have a free evening in Copenhagen. And it was raining, so they decided to go see a movie, and they found one theater that had English-speaking movies. And one of those few shows was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. How many have seen that? I haven't. I have to apologize about that. <clears throat> he hadn't, Adam Hamilton hadn't seen any of the Harry Potter movies, and nor had he read any of the books. It wasn't against he just never had. Well, about three-fourths of the way through the movie, Adam Hamilton starts thinking, boy, this story sounds familiar. So the story is about a young man, lays down his life to save his friends. He appears to be dead. All seems lost. And then he opens his eyes, defeats his archenemy, and restores hope. And Adam started to look around the theater and seeing how this group of people, remember, in, in the, that country, 
Nine out of ten people do not go to church. Nine out of ten. And they're watching this movie. So they're sitting in this theater. And when Harry went forward to give his life for his friends, you could hear the people crying, he says, in that theater. When Harry rose, they cheered. And when he finally defeated Voldemort, they broke out in joyful applause. Well, Adam Hamilton says, you know, they were cheering not just for the fictional Harry Potter. They were cheering for the idea that life conquers death, that good conquers evil, that evil will never have the final word. And that idea is best demonstrated not in a movie, but what God did through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Jesus gave himself to save the world so that death and evil would not triumph. He was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. Ultimately, as the Bible proclaims in the revelation of John, Christ will defeat the forces of evil. Well, Adam Hamilton, he closes his Easter sermon each year the very same way. I've heard him describe this in person a couple times. And he always has people who say, you know, Adam, do you really believe this stuff? You're, you're a smart guy. Do you really believe that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead? And his response is always the same. I not only believe it, I'm counting on it. Well, I echo those words. I'm counting on the fact that there's always hope. I'm counting on the fact that sin, death, and evil have been defeated. I'm counting on the fact that every good thing I do on behalf of the kingdom of God will endure, that somehow God will use it for his eternal work. And that's what the resurrection does for me. For me, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, but a real event grounded in history, witnessed by Peter, by Mary Magdalene, by the disciples, and a crowd of 500 at once. And that knowledge confirms what I know to be true in my heart, that God is alive and well and still very much at work in our world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these accounts that reminds us that you are truly alive. Not just an idea, not a philosophy, not a moral body of teaching, but, but a God who reaches out in the fullness of your son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and raised from the dead. May we take that tangible, concrete, physical hope with us. Whatever challenge we face this week, this year, in the rest of our lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen.